Thank you, friends, for being with us for the latest episode of the Starfish in the Church podcast. Uh, Rob and I are very delighted and excited to have Mandy Smith with us today. Mandy is, uh, I don't think it's uh, an overstatement to say she's a prolific author. She's written some phenomenal books, and she has a new book that we're going to be talking about, particularly this afternoon. She's a pastor. She's a thought leader. And um, this latest book... Uh, that she has uh, called Unfettered uh, opens up some themes, uh, some scriptural themes, some Jesusy themes that way too much have been overlooked yeah. and 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 not mined enough. So we are excited to have uh, Mandy with us today. Mandy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be with you today. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. We found out as we were chatting before the podcast that all of us have been adopted by Alan Hirsch. So you're a, a sister that we have not yet met, but we're in the same uh, band of ragamuffins. Alan, yes. we find out has been sending and Deb us- Hirsch and yes. Deb. No and, doubt. And Alan's been sending all of us the same quotes from Belshazzar <laughs> at the same time. Belshazzar bombs in the middle of the night. Yes. His favorite theologian. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause you're getting them from Australia. I get them first thing in the morning. So I guess I'm lucky in that regard. I'm on the same time. Zone yeah. You're lucky. Me. Cause we get them at like at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> as if they weren't mysterious enough already <laughs> exactly well we were really drawn to your book um you know the message that is really one of your apparently your life message um really intersects the heart of the message of our book which is one about uh, decentralized leadership a form of leadership that's based off of um resting in our belovedness in Jesus and it, it rests in his authority as the head and the rest of us as beloved children. Uh, we want to see a culture of um, a true activation of the priesthood of all believers, um, open circles of mutual submission. And uh, for a lot of us as church leaders, uh, if we're honest, um, you know, there's just a lot of deep repenting we have to do in this area. It's we're, mm. we're coming out of, um, especially in America, and I don't know if it's the same down under, but just the, the celebrity culture, um, the, the idea of, you know, I am what I do and what others think of me. And so mm-hmm. as a pastor, I am the size of my church. I am the influence I have and the network that I'm able to create and the churches I've planted and the, mm-hmm. uh, and the talks I've been able to give at this certain event and that certain event. And we just want to go, Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> and, and, uh, and your book is a salve um, mm-hmm. to help us return and heal. And Definitely. so thank you. We, you know, having just produced a book, we know how very hard it is to get that thing. Yeah. And what's totally unfair is I'm actually holding a copy. Yeah, it's crazy. Before you, you are. It's because yeah, it must mine, be printed here yeah. in America, apparently. Yep, of course. And I actually literally just got a text saying, shipping notice, your your box is on its way. So it's going to be three weeks or so before I hold it. So, yeah. yeah it was, so it so what the listeners what the listeners can't see is here just a few minutes ago um, before we went on air. Um, so we're... <laughs> Rob holds the book up and we thought Mandy was going to cry, which we totally understood. She's like, Oh, it's my book. And we're like, well, <laughs> yes, it is your book. And, yeah. and she's like, 
I haven't seen it yet. And we're like, yeah. oh my God. I mean, it's literally like someone is holding a baby you gave birth to and you, you're you're on the other side of the glass and you can't reach it. Yeah, so. it was a funny feeling, but a really good feeling because the baby is alive. It is. And, it um, lives. Yeah. And this book actually was probably the hardest to write of all of the books I've ever written because um, I had to detox from the same things that mm. I'm talking about. And so there was this, the, I think I rewrote it four times and the first version of it was an argument for childlikeness. Mm. So you can see the irony of that. Mm. Um, it was a very reasonable, rational, uh, somewhat academic argument for why we should all be more childlike. So it wasn't a true self, you know, there was, it was in itself not, not really authentic. And I had to, I, I think what had happened was I had had such a powerful experience myself personally that was transformative to my life and ministry, but I knew that to speak it into the world, it was speaking into a world that, that wanted uh, argument, wanted defense, wanted reason and um, wouldn't really take my experience seriously. And so I had to reshape it in a way that could be understood. But, um, but I came to realize through four different rewrites of it that um, it had to be presented in a way that was actually inviting the reader into the same new way of experiencing things, which is a bigger risk because a lot of people won't, won't go there with me but I hope that it's transformative for the people that will. And in a way that I think is what Jesus is saying by saying um, you can't enter the kingdom unless you become like a child. He's saying like the kingdom is all around us. <laughs> it's not as mysterious and difficult to find as we think it is. The question is if we'll, if we'll keep trying to be the camel getting through the eye of the needle, mm. you know, will we, are we willing to ch be changed in order to even receive the kingdom that's already just surging all around us? Andy, I'm, I'm curious, um, when we wrote our book, um, we, we tried to embrace the same sort of ethos of sharing out of our own um, brokenness. Um, we shared quite vulnerably about where, uh, in our metaphor, you know, we're using Ori Brofman's The Spider and the Starfish, so sharing about when we've been spiders, you know, and then also when we've been spider bit. And it was interesting our, our book's been through a similar number of rewrites. And in the early versions, we got so much pushback where people felt like it was too vulnerable, that it would mm -hmm. distract. That it was like, it will distract people and keep them from mm -hmm. actually. And, it, and, and we literally just fought for that. We're like, no, mm -hmm. we're, we're not going to take that out of the book. And yeah. And it's been interesting just this week. I got a text from a guy who's, reading the book and that was the thing he thanked me for the most like was mm -hmm. the gift of yeah um, the kind of shared suffering shared humanity you know yeah absolutely yeah and my previous book is the vulnerable pastor so i had mm -hmm. to again let it let it be what it what it was and you gotta and, you gotta be smoking what you're selling exactly <laughs> that's an al hirsch quote right there he told me the same thing <laughs> yes. um so yeah but it's it's terrifying and to put it out there in a sermon is one thing because you know the audience, but to put it in a book and know it's just going to go all over the place in places that maybe aren't safe places is kind of scary. But at the same time, as you said, 
it's the moments where I that the, that were the hardest to share that actually are the most transformative for other people and the most freeing for other people. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the um, unfettered book is is kind of the theology behind the vulnerable pastor. Um, and there's also an element too that I think added a new layer of a, an extra layer of wrestling. No, you know, nobody, no matter who we are, likes revealing painful or um, shameful things mm. about themselves. But um, I think one of the other elements that I really wrestled with with Unfettered was that I'm basically saying God is bombarding us constantly with himself and, and revelation of himself, but we only want to receive it in ways that we are more in control of, which is usually with our intellect. And mm. um, so then when we don't understand completely we have this wrestling and what people are calling deconstruction and all the rest, you know, which I get. And then when that turns up nothing or we don't have all the answers we're looking for, we're like, okay, I guess I just don't believe. And meanwhile, God is speaking to us through through our senses, through our instincts, through our emotions, through our bodies. He's just bombarding us constantly with, you know, not sentences all the time, you know, sometimes yeah. just the experience of being in his presence and that is genuinely a scary thing to trust those things in a culture mm. that has told us be objective, you know, don't be swept away by emotion or, you know, bodies are just kind of icky and embarrassing. So the things that they sense are not worth listening to. And um, so, you know, I've, I work in an academic context. My husband is a PhD. Most of our friends are professors and my church is in an academic context. And so to come and say, what if, what if there are things we could learn by listening to the birds? What if there are things we could learn by listening to our instincts or by dancing? Or it mm. just feels really foolish, you know? It feels really yeah. insignificant. And not to set aside, like I love reading, I love thinking, I love studying, not to set aside that part of ourselves, but just to open up all of the ways that God wants to communicate yeah. with us. And, and there's a gender kind of element to that too of like, well, of course, Mandy's going to talk about feelings. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, there's some ways that, um, that I had to get over a lot of shame Mm. Um, and a lot of anxiety that people are going to disregard me or not take me seriously if mm. I, if I um, go there. But I just couldn't. I just couldn't not go. Well, there. let me let me tell you. Yeah, I let's just put that aside because I, I can just tell our listeners just reading through the book. Just when you did talk about those simple things and you talked about nature and interacting with nature and everything, that may sound simple. Um, but you, you went deep with it. I mean, it, mm. it, it, it went to the depths. And uh, I was, um, I just finished uh, Wynn Collier's book, uh, his biography mm-hmm. on um, Eugene Peterson. Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just all the time that he spent there at, at Flathead, at, at mm-hmm. his cabin that he had grown up on and helped his, actually helped his father build when he was a young man. And then they retired on, but just these daily walks that he would go and he would come back in his journal. He'd say, you know, I, I saw three hawks and I saw 175 earthworms, you know, and just, but just enamored with it. But just, you could feel that he felt like he had just stepped into the sanctuary, you know? Absolutely. Uh, And so when I was reading yours, I was like, yeah, same track, same, same thoughts. And I think, Again, we, we disregard when Jesus says, consider the lilies, 
consider the birds. It just seems like Hallmark cards, you know, I think to mm. us. We're like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. On my next vac- vacation, I'll take a few photos of the birds. But hes I think he's speaking of something really powerful that the birds and the lilies are already existing in the kingdom. They're already flourishing, you know. And it was a practice of mine when I lived on a hill where there were eagles soaring on a regular basis to just watch them and think that that hawk does not care about the things I care about. It's not, it might be looking for a mouse, but it's not desperately saying, I'm not, I'm never going to find a mouse again. Maybe the last mouse was the first, was the last mouse I'll ever find. You know, the, there's a sense of it's, it's willing to ride the breeze that it didn't create. It's willing to engage mm. in a, a space that is, that is bigger than it. And, and somehow trust that it will have what it needs. And um, that is the kingdom, you know, and it's already, it's already flourishing. And it's not just a metaphor. Like I think we use an eagle to be like, oh, it's riding on, it's riding on the updraft. And that's a metaphor for how we can trust in God or something. <laughs> it's actually literally existing in the kingdom. <laughs> and yeah. that is a kingdom that is always flourishing, even when, culture is in crisis and everything's falling apart and our own lives are broken and there's so much injustice. The trees are still budding every single spring, you know, they, and they have for the centuries and they probably will do for more centuries to come. And, and so there is a place where um, if we will just connect in that same way, you know, Jesus uses the metaphor of abiding in the vine and it's, it's again, a, a way to, to actually literally, exist um hildegard of being in the abbess from the medieval germany used made up a word called veriditas which is kind of a combination between the word for truth and the word for green uh mm. verdant and so she and because she was uh, a medical doctor and also studied nature and plant life and <clears throat> healing and also was a theologian and a musician she she just saw how she actually calls sin drying up. Like when you, like, mm. as Jesus says, when you cut a branch off a tree, it dries up. Mm-hmm. And when we, um, when we remain connected to the source of all creation, of all life, of all hope and power, then we naturally are going to flourish and not in some metaphorical way, like in literal ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think a big part of it, of everything we've spoken about so far is, uh, is very un, um, very unusual in Western culture, and that sadly includes Western Christianity, which is to simply uh, acknowledge that we are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, which we didn't create and uh, which we don't sustain and which we are dependent on and which actually is the source of everything we're so desperately working to do in our own strength, mm. whether it's, you know, sustain a life and a family or a church or just live, um, but it's scary. It's scary to stop, to stop working so hard to, to make the world run and to trust that it's running. Yeah. Well, we'd love to walk through the three movements of your book yeah. and we're already well into the heart of it, right? which is that this movement of rest, receive and respond. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you consider, um, you know, the life of a church leader, a, a lot of them feel like the social contract now is um, I basically have to be Atlas. Like I have to be an incredible communicator, a profound theologian, um, and a, a captivating vision caster, a political commentator, 
a podcast creator, a parenting expert, a marriage mm. counselor, a chaplain at your bedside. Mm. Goodness, <laughs> you know, I'm getting exhausted just listening. Yeah, to that. and it's yeah. like a great so, talk show host. You know, what yeah. do you mean like rest? How do I? Right. Yeah, it's rest. Yeah, it's radical, and it it has wrecked my world. Like I think of all the things, because I I don't like I am an A type personality. I'm a perfectionist. I know how to get things done, and and you get a lot of praise and you get a lot of kudos for getting stuff done. You know, so um, I think that it's been a long process for me. Way before I wrote this book of of stepping into um, Sabbath keeping. And that was actually just a necessity because I just, I just totally hit a wall and went into several months of depression from just Mm. carrying the world on my shoulders. Mm. And so entered into my pastoral work, just being so humbled by that and embarrassed by that. Like, Oh man, I marched myself right off a cliff because my will to work is much stronger than my body. Mm. And I just, I, I just I marched myself off a cliff and at the bottom of the cliff, there was not much of me left. And so um, I, I, I do believe that although uh, the commandment in the Old Testament to do Sabbath is, is not, you know, that we have freedom in New Testament uh, places to choose it. And at the same time, I, I do think that it is so powerful and so powerful. Uh, transformative to ourselves and I think that um so and whether it starts with a whole day off or it just has to begin really small to have moments like that interrupt your days (laughs) to um to set aside your own controlling of the world because I I think that we live we would never say the world's all on our shoulders but we live as if it is Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we think this email, this meeting, this sermon is going to is going to fix all of the problems. Um, and so I think that you know God actually gave His people Sabbath before He gave the Ten Commandments. And I think yeah. um, I think He was trying to say, "You are not slaves anymore. You are my children. Slaves don't have a day off, but children do. And we do live like slaves." And God says, well, I have something so much better for you that if you would just stop <laughs> for a little while. And uh, there's a tradition, uh, a rabbinic tradition that says that in, in rest, we, we learn our death. We practice for our own death in two mm. ways, which is rather morbid, but really freeing. And it's that in, after, after this life, in the next life, we will just be in God's presence for the pure sake of it. And if we're not comfortable with that, Sabbath gives us the practice for it. Secondly, that we in the next life will just have to leave whatever we thought was so important that we were that we were fixing and solving and controlling. And we're going to have to leave the world in God's hands when we die. And it's it's a practice for that too. And I tell you what, I think you could spend the rest of your life figuring that out. So I would encourage any any um leaders listening that if you are not um, taking a serious time to just totally disconnect from your work and not a, not a day that's just resting for the sake of getting more work done, but a, a day that is just existing and trusting that God delights in you, even though you're not accomplishing anything. Um, I started a really long sentence and I don't know how to finish it. I think I should finish it with, 
I would encourage you to, <laughs> to, <laughs> well, to I, explore I, that as uncomfortable as it is and as much as yeah. you feel like you don't have the time for it. Well, I think the operative word there, and you said it, Mandy, is, is, is trust. And every mm-hmm. time I think about the Sabbath or I think about, you know, myself when I'm like, oh, well, I really need to do this or I need to get this done or whatever. It's like, it's trust. Now, do you trust him? Do you trust that he can get that ground to produce without mm-hmm. you? You know, right. do, do you, do you trust that you can scoop up two days worth of manna and it's not going to get wormy? That is a good, yeah, that is a good metaphor. Yeah. Uh, and the funny thing is when, when uh, Jewish people who still practice Sabbath, when they finish Sabbath, they have this beautiful ceremony where they pour wine into a cup that's sitting in a bowl and they just let it overflow. Mm-hmm. And, and that is their prayer that the sweetness of this day will overflow into the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. And I think what we learn in, in taking a day off and trusting someone else is going to be answering the phone, someone else is going to be answering the emails. And that person who we, who we're worried about might go down, you know, the wrong track on that day is going to either have to find somebody else to talk to or talk to God. <laughs> if we're not available, right. you know, right. and, and something about that comes with us with this, like the, the wine overflowing something about, and it's really uncomfortable and it's really, it's not always a fun day on Sabbath. Um, but something about that comes with us back into our work so that even when we are producing and we are doing our small part, we're aware that it's just a small part. And, and this is what I think childlikeness ultimately is about. Even if we had, painful and far from ideal childhoods um i think as children we all understood you know you you wake up in the morning and someone else has started the day you know um and you enter into you enter into the world that is already humming you don't think the world started when you opened your eyes and it's it's yours to create and uh there's something about that that is is really healing for us too and i think there's nothing like just stopping running the world to detox from that habit, whether it's a full day or five minutes, you know, wherever you need to begin. Um, and, and I think engaging in art making, engaging in community, engaging in um, being in uh, nature, engaging in just literally lying down and doing nothing yes. are places where something else, there's, you're part of something so much bigger than yourself and mm. it's humble beautiful and freeing at the same time yeah it's it's a day of delight um you know i grew up in a south highland illinois so it's a very strong reform tradition and they have blue laws so sabbath was about shutting everything down you know oh wow and uh and discovering that sabbath is about recreation in terms of being recreated like what are the what are the means by which i experience the joy and the delight of god yeah yeah. And it is hard. Like, I think the story begins in the book with me being on sabbatical, which is not what everybody who's reading is going to be doing. But um, I think it still really relates because I realized, you know, I've got eight weeks. What am I supposed to do with myself? The rest of my family is still doing their normal things. And and I just sense the Lord say, like, you get to be like a child. You can follow yeah. your instincts. You can wear yeah. what you like and eat what you like and sleep Go when play. you need. and. Yeah, and cry when you need to, you know, like just be present and available mm. and, and awake. It's not, childlikeness is not just always having fun. I mean, children deal with some really hard stuff, but they're really present and they're yeah. really mm. honest and they're really courageous and they're really whole, you know, and they trust 
they trust their instincts, they trust their bodies and their emotions as much as they trust their intellect. And so for eight weeks, I, I learned to, to listen. And in the very beginning, you know, there was this, this sense of like, Mandy, just lie in the grass. This is a beautiful hilltop. It's a gorgeous morning. Just lie in the grass. And I cannot tell you how much pushback there was to that simple prompt in me of what I call adultishness of like people, there was nobody around, but, but like people won't take me seriously. I'm supposed to be a senior pastor. Like if somebody sees me lying in the grass, they're going to think. Lazy, cool. good for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> She's lost her mind. That's, and then there was like, and that's going to be a waste of time. What if this is a deeper level that I had to wrestle with too. What if you lie in the grass, hoping that you have some experience of God and you don't feel him and you feel God's distance from you. What if it's a total waste of time? You know, what if it, what if it's shameful? What if it, and so just a simple prompt like lying in the grass became this opportunity to engage with all this false self junk, with mm. all this ego, with all this um, ambition and with all this concern about approval and all the rest. And so the only way to get over that is to just do it. You know? And so the funny thing is, you know, you hope when you come back from sabbatical to have some mountaintop moments of where God really revealed himself. And I was expecting it was going to be, sentences or passage of scripture or something I could put into words but but if there was any kind of a mountaintop moment that was probably the most powerful one and it was not a sentence it was releasing just lying on the grass on the top of a beautiful hill and releasing my body into the ground and I I swear there is an energy that rises up from the earth that you can feel it's not like lying on a concrete floor there is Mm. you feel the earth spinning beneath you when you when you actually just release and just let your muscles relax and you can almost feel life and I just I just suddenly felt like I just connected to this source of energy that I mean I know that sounds really new age but God created all of that energy it is his energy in creation and and but even beyond that I just sensed God's it sounds like such a cliche but I just was in God's presence for the sake of being Mm. in God's presence and I just said Mm. to the Lord I wasn't it was the first time I think in my sabbatical after several weeks of being off work um, where I wasn't like, okay, God, I've got your attention now. I've got these questions. I need to go back to work with these questions answered. And, and I realized like I wanted a business meeting and he wanted a picnic. And this moment when I finally just was like, I'm just going to lie in the grass and stop being so serious, taking myself so seriously that I was just like, I wasn't asking him fix this problem or answer this question. I was just like, Lord, where, when you made this sky, did you know I'd lie here and look at it? When you made that cloud, <laughs> When you made this hill, were you aware? Did you think of me? You know, like mm. different kinds of questions, you know, that. Which but is those modeling. are childlike questions. Yeah. I mean, those, those are the kind of questions that a child would, would ask. And so when you, and, you know, we're all authors here. And sometimes we can kind of think back when, when the, um, the nexus of a book started that little seed started dropping and it's like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I should write on this or whatever. Um, in relation to the whole childlikeness, um, how did that start in your thinking and what, what was the burden there? What, what, what pushed you? Yeah. Yeah. I think when I started seeing how hard it was for me, and how much pushback there was, how much I'd been socialized to not trust the things that my childlike self used to trust. Um, and how much I think when I was reading Merton talk about 
false self and true self. And I realized like Western culture really encourages us to be false selves, to be divided selves. Oh, and when you add social media, it just yeah, triples down absolutely. on that. Doesn't it, it the false self? It. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, there's this dualism in Western culture that says bodies go over there, minds go over there, spirits go, what, we didn't even know if we have space for that. And um, so when I started noticing how pressing into it was actually healing me and um, restoring my hope and, and also giving me energy for ministry, like in a time when we're all so dry and so doubting and so discouraged um, personally and in our work, I just was like, I can't keep this to myself, you know, whatever healing I'm finding is I think part of mm. what, what we need um, to heal from. And I, and I realized and this is part of why I went through several versions of writing it that um, oh, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, oh, that it wasn't even really something that I came up with. It was something mm. that I had to receive, but I had to stop so hard trying to come up with things in order to receive it. And so that felt like a kind of detox that even the ways we, like we are so aware at the moment about all the things that are wrong with the church and all the things that are wrong with the world. And I am in so many circles of Christian leaders sitting around talking about the new process, the new program, the new way to fix everything that's wrong with the church. And it's it's exhausting and it just is still about us. We're still at the center of it. We're still the ones fixing the church. And, um, and so I realized like, as much as we might be aware of the problems, we still are perpetuating one of the key problems, which is, which is fixing it in our own strength, thinking mm -hmm. it's all up to us. And the best way uh, to, to detox from that is, you know, to just acknowledge it's our own habits that are perpetuating the problem, our own sense of our own, control and um and what if they're real and this is scary and risky what if there really is a force at work that is actually making all things new inviting us to join with it and if we could just stop working so hard long enough you know it's like you're pedaling the bike furiously and to stop pedaling you kind of feel like is the bike just going to fall over you know that's a bad metaphor because the bike would fall over if you stopped pedaling unless unless to continue the metaphor you're cruising down a hill that you didn't know you were cruising down there you go ah, i say i say you the save that metaphor <laughs> um so you know we may not realize we're actually cruising down a hill and we're furiously pedaling away and thinking if i stop pedaling the bike's going to crash and um but it is risky to stop pedaling long enough to realize like, oh, wow, there's something else I can cruise on here. Mm, yeah. And it's more meaningful and more powerful and more, you know, it may not answer the questions we have. It may give us different, different answers than we were even asking questions about. But what if that's the very power that's behind the church that we're trying so desperately to fix and, and lead, you know? So, mm, yeah, yeah. You're, you're really driving into you know, the next section of the book, which is this posture of receiving. Mm -hmm. And it's as we rest, as we receive, it's from that place we respond. So talk about yeah. kind of that, continue to unpack that dynamic of yeah. how's, how's that response different? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this rest, receive, respond thing is just, I think the process of discipleship and the process of leading, like it's beautiful that in in learning how to follow God, we're also learning how to help others follow God. They're both very connected. And um, so 
yeah, I, I believe that if we truly kind of empty of our own control, we can't help but receive. It may not be the, the answer we were looking for or the, the sermon idea that we were suddenly, you know, we were really hoping to get today, but, but the spirit of God is already in us, already active, already restoring and providing our guidance and our hope and cares more about the churches we lead than we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I've not come from a tradition that talks much about the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's often very anxious about talk, talking about the Holy Spirit. But this is where I actually came to understand and experience the power of the Spirit for the first time because, um, you know, we often don't feel the Spirit and so we say, come Holy Spirit, where have you gone? Why aren't you talking? Why aren't you moving? And what I've actually come to learn is when we empty of our own control, when we say, here's how I'm striving, here's how I'm anxious, here's how I'm trying to fix everything in my own strength, and I just release that to you, Lord, suddenly we just unclutter all the space inside of ourselves. We've been just filling ourselves up with useless junk. And to get our own efforts out of there, suddenly this little puddle of the spirit that's just been waiting in the corner to just fill ourselves, fill us up and overflow, mm-hmm. that's just, it just has more space. And so it's not that the spirit has gone anywhere. It's that we just haven't given it the power and released yeah. our energies. And, and so suddenly that spirit that um, is already in us and doesn't come and go um, is able to prompt us to pray for this person or, or, you know, lead this meeting in this way or preach this sermon in this way or email this person or give away this thing. And, and we have to set aside our agenda because sometimes it's not, the thing we were hoping for, but every single morning I go for a, like an emptying walk because I'm an anxious person and I wake up already. My wheels, my you know, my brain is already spinning when I wake up, and I've got all kinds of things that I'm already worried about. And I just walk and I just tell the Lord, like I confess, I I'm worried about this thing in my family, and I'm trying to do these things to fix it, and I give it to you. And I'm and I'm concerned about this thing in my church, and I give it to you. And and every single time I do that, there is something else. Um, that is that's apparent to me and it's not usually the answer I'm looking for and it usually comes in a kind of a, a, an instinct or an urge or a feeling or a prompt from nature. Um, sometimes it's more cognitive but um, it, it, it often is something that opens the door to things that I wasn't even thinking about that actually brings so much hope in life um, mm-hmm. But it's surprisingly scary to trust those things and surprisingly scary to actually obey those things. But I'm transformed in the obedience and in the confusion and in the mystery. And then we lead our churches in the same way we follow God, which is to say, I don't really understand exactly where God is leading. Like I've, in my personal faith, I've never had God give me a five-year plan. I don't know anybody who has. (laughs) I don't know why we think we... We can get them in our churches. Of course, we can have goals, you know, and vision and all the rest. But um, what if God just just gives us one step at a time in our leadership of the church? <laughs> what if God just gives us one step at a time in our leadership of the church in the same way as he leads us personally? Yeah. And if it's okay for us as leaders to be caught up in the mystery with our with our congregations, you know, to say, like, they get to watch us following and trusting and being a little bit terrified, you know, <laughs> Um, and that's more life-changing, I think, than 
you know, because when we make a plan, you you might have a discernment process and a lot of prayer in the beginning, and then you set the five-year plan and you stop asking the Lord after that. You stop listening after that. Mm. And what if one step into this 10-step process, you learn something new and God reveals himself in a new way. Do you go back and rehash the whole process? You know, you just like, well, we've got this five-year plan. So, um, yeah, so you can probably hear my voice. Like it's it's terrifying and it's really exciting at the same time. Well, I think that, you know, what you're, what you're talking about there, Mandy, I mean, it's, you know, so much of our, uh, and we, we, we talk a lot about this, Rob and I do in our book, um, that so much of the church has been over the last 25, 30 years, at least as, has been so focused, uh, I call it leaderaholism. I mean, mm-hmm. just, it's all about leadership, 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 and it's very predictive, you know, and mm-hmm. so much of it is all about being, being able to predict outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And that's where that control comes in. And yeah. when you're constantly thinking that you've got formulas to predict outcomes, you really do leave the Holy Spirit behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to be just ugly here, but, you know, I've noticed this on and over the just the last, particularly over the last few weeks, as things are starting to open up from the pandemic. And churches are starting to return back to uh, face-to-face meetings. And um, I noticed on Sunday mornings that so many pastors post pictures of their stage. Hmm. And it's like, this is the church. Like, so oh, we're, we're, we're back to doing oh, it. We're, we're back to the stuff. It. Oh, yeah. it's just over. Well, you watch this Sunday. So okay. you, you just watch social media and it just pops up. And one of the things that I've noticed is, and this is going to sound real nitpicky, but that the light packages are getting more extravagant. And so literally the light stage lighting, the stage lighting. Yeah. It's becoming much more, um, you know, rock show type of stuff. And once again, not to sound petty here, but it just seems to me like there's so much compensation for the lack Mm. of the Holy spirit and the lack mm. of being the light. In fact, I like mm. to call that stuff, the Shekinah glory um, <laughs> because it's just all this kind of making up for what we yeah. don't really have. Right. And it's like, right. I see leaders just doubling down on it when mm. you're going back to the simplification and I, my, my well, background actually, was Vin. Go ahead. Vin, yeah. Yeah. Go. Saying, um, yeah. Yeah. That actually makes me kind of sad for pastors and leaders who are in that kind of culture. And if that's what your it church is sad. expecting of you to, to feel the pressure of, you know, I actually get really angry when, when pastors burn out or make really bad moral choices and everybody's like, look at that horrible person. How could they have done that? And we're going to fire them. And that's the end of that without realizing mm-hmm. like we've created this whole culture Absolutely. that is actually not sustainable and no human being, you know, based on our personalities and weaknesses, will crush under that pressure in different Absolutely. ways. But, um, but at what point are we going to actually assess maybe we've made an idol. Maybe we put pressure on this person to be something that they can't be. And that person um, under the pressure is of course, just going to go down that path. So it breaks my heart. And yeah, well, it is, you know, we were talking about Atlas earlier. In fact, that's one of the metaphors that, that, that we use in our book, but uh, it come across and we, we wish that we had this in the book. We've come across recently a, a doctor, um, a chiropractor who talks about the Atlas vertebra. And the atlas mm. vertebrae is is basically what creates the swivel for the head, and everything below the atlas vertebrae is where all the nerve endings go out, and really all the problems huh. in the body, even the organs, 
just about every problem in the body, it's all tied to the misalignment of the atlas vertebra. Oh my goodness. Wow. And, and all the, our neurology and, and, and all the wisdom and the understanding and the intelligence that the brain wants to send out has mm-hmm. to get through that atlas vertebra. Wow. And really in the body of Christ, Jesus is to be the, the brain and the atlas vertebra. Right. But so often we in our leadership systems, we become the atlas vertebra. And then we mm. wonder why the body's all messed up and why the body's oh not goodness. healthy and the body can't walk. So there's a lot of metaphor there, but I really, I believe there's a lot of truth to it too. Yeah. And, my goodness. Wow. Well, yeah, I had to create new language for some of this because so in the beginning I'm on sabbatical, I'm being invited to, to just find the grass or, you know, do things, <laughs> sleep when I need to sleep. I was, God was calling me to dance, which made me feel really stupid. And, um, so I had to, I had to get over what I call adultishness in order to receive childlikeness. I had to get over taking myself so seriously, worrying about what everybody thinks of me, being in control and fixing and understanding everything, which is so deeply embedded in our culture and mm. sadly also often in church culture. And, and what then happened was, so when you set aside that, when you step into the, just the childlikeness, which is actually so much more than whimsy and wonder, it's, it's just being available and being present and being open to things that are bigger than yourself, um, being courageous actually, and being honest. That's a part mm-hmm. of it in addition to the whimsy and wonder. And then you're available to something that actually um, was a bit scary, <laughs> you know, because God was prompting me to do things that I knew in our adultish culture would, I would look stupid and feel foolish and be ashamed. And um, so then there was this adult likeness, like there's, there's a positive kind of agency that we have. And I, I worry sometimes that we, we are so concerned about ego-driven leadership and celebrity culture and all that junk that we actually go to the opposite extreme of, of not really talking about human agency and healthy models of leadership. And so there is a way mm-hmm. that God does call us to, to make choices and take risks and join him on mission and use our agency responsibly and steward it well. Once we've been healed from doing it all in our own strength, then we actually are able to bring what small part we do have with freedom and fullness Mm -hmm. and say, here's Mm -hmm. what gifts I do have. Here's what little time and energy I do have. And I just give it all to you knowing it's not enough. Um, And so I call that adult likeness of, because there's also, the problem of childishness of, you know, when God, and we see this with all of the prophets in scripture, when God calls them to do something, most of them are saying, Oh no. (laughs) And Jeremiah says, I'm too young. I'm just a child. Mm. I can't be your prophet. And so that is, that is really important as well to, to freely just say, I'll give what I can. It's not, it's never going to be enough, but I trust that you can use it. And I'm not going to be that childish person who's like, oh, I'm only small and I have nothing to give and nobody could ever use me. Um, And I think that there's a healing in that balance of, of childlike adult likeness of being unafraid to be powerless and being unafraid to be powerful. Yeah. That is a place where Jesus lived, where yeah. he, he knew his dependence on the Father and he knew his, his need to be obedient to the Father as well. And I think that's where flourishing really happens and where we, you know, I see, I see us go just kind of ping pong from it's all up to God to it's all up to me. And mm-hmm. neither of those is true or life-giving. Um, yeah, he, and- he's not going to do um, all the maturing for us. 
You know, right. a, a child has needs, tasks, and milestones, and then a young adult has needs, tasks, and milestones, and then a parent does, and then a right. parent does. And he wants us to um, be in this mysterious, wonderful, dynamic relationship where what he's working in us, we're saying, yes, Lord, um, mm-hmm. I'll work yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, which is partnership with him, which is what the good news is actually like. This this good news is not that just that Jesus died 2000 years ago, or just that we get some future hope with him in heaven, but that the, the spirit of the living God that spoke creation into existence, that was in Jesus body walking around the earth and that rose him from the dead is in our very bodies right yeah. now, well, <laughs> equipping yeah. us and empowering us. And we are one with him now. It's not wishing yeah. we could have been with him in Palestine 2000 years ago or looking forward to being with him in the future, but partnership with him right now. And he is making yeah. us new. Like, Amen. Uh, that's good news. That feels That's like fullness. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Amen. It is. Yeah. Well, Mandy, we're so excited about the book coming out. When's the exact release date? The 18th of May. We're almost there. Yep. So very so soon, close. but you can pre-order it on all the, all the usual places. Yeah. Well, Amazon, listening right now, we hope you will pre-order. Uh, this should be coming out the week before the book comes out. And we really want, uh, this book to be successful so that Mandy can finally feel good about herself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now folks, that, that was totally tongue in cheek because none of us feel good about ourselves. You'll, really you'll understand Mandy, the more you get to know me, I'm kind of like a little kid and I'm just good. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Well, and I, uh, I, think, I mean, I do feel good about myself in whatever way that is appropriate, you know, that, Exactly. And that's why it's a joy to make that joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's what it is to be free to know that God is delighting in us. So let's mention again, the the name of the book is unfettered imagining a childlike faith beyond the baggage of Western culture. Um, So good. And you helped us do that in that book. It's just fantastic. So I encourage everybody. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's really been a joy. Mandy, if people want to find more about your other books or resources, uh, where's a great place for them to go? On the yeah, internet? my website is thewayistheway.org. And yeah, you can find about other books there and my blog and even some artwork I've done that's kind of mentioned in mm. the book. And um, yeah, it's a place to go and find out more about me. Awesome. Thank you so much for this time today. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Starfish in the Church podcast. We'll see you soon.